The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, Elder Buddy Abernathy continues his study in the book of Revelation. You may recall that the last time we posted a sermon by Brother Buddy, he was preaching from Revelation chapter 3 about the Laodicean church. In the first half of this sermon, Brother Buddy begins to review what it means to be lukewarm and the conditions that tend to cause that to happen. Of all times in history, in today's culture, we're at a great risk of becoming like the Laodicean church. Join us as we consider this church and the condition it was in and realize how it applies to our lives today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Joyful, joyful. Yeah, yeah. 
continue today looking at the book of Revelation. And this has probably been the longest break in between the times that I've tried to preach from this book. We're coming to the end of the first section. Uh, and in this first section, after some introductory remarks that Jesus made, he then addresses uh, seven churches in Asia Minor. These were real churches, just like we trust we're a real church today. We're looking at the last church, and since it has been so long since we've spoken concerning the book of Revelation, and furthermore, since I believe this is the conditions that are most relevant to us today, we want to try to take our time and uh, review some of the previous points that are so relevant uh, to the last three verses, which is where we're at in this series. Now, you remember in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, Jesus says, I know thy works. Now, that's not a comforting thought, is it? I know thy works. You know, that's like a parent saying, I know what you've been up to. You know, when a parent says that, we're usually in trouble, aren't we? We don't take comfort in that. Jesus says to this church, I know what's going on. And he makes this observation which is personally convicting to me. And if you're honest, you'll probably realize that there are certainly times that this applies to your life as well. He says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, I've heard many different interpretations of what Jesus means when he says thou art neither cold nor hot but rather you're lukewarm and as I've studied this the conclusion that I've reached is that Jesus is essentially saying you're not cold in the sense that you're completely uninterested in the things of God's kingdom. You're not cold in the sense that you're out there living in the world with no real evidence in the eyes of others that you love the Lord. He says, you're not cold. You're not just completely turned off as far as your zeal is concerned. 
And he says you're also not hot. Now that's the desirable state to be in because if you will study the word zeal in the Bible, you'll see that that comes from a root word which literally means heat. Now when there's heat, there's activity. Heat is a result of activity. Uh, a forest fire is active, to say the least. It produces heat as a result of, of what's going on during the burning process. So uh, hot here refers to being zealous and truly uh, devoted to God's kingdom. You know, even when Paul addressed his brethren among the Israelites who were in error as far as the truth of Christ was concerned, yet he said, I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So you see, there are many of God's children today that may not have a complete understanding of the gospel, but they have a zeal, notice this, a zeal of God, a zeal whose origin is from God. Now the Lord is pleased when his children are walking in whatever degree of light they have. He's pleased when they desire to please the Lord. Uh, even if their zeal is not based on real scriptural knowledge about salvation, the Lord is always pleased when his children are sincerely trying to obey him and live a life that honors him. Now Jesus says, notice here, he says, Thou art neither cold, you're not like those that are just swallowed up with worldliness. He said you're neither hot, he said, I would that thou wert cold nor hot. Now we understand why the Lord would prefer for us to be hot. That's the ideal for a child of God. But notice he says, I would that thou wert cold. And if you read the, sentence, the sentences here, you see that he's saying, I would that thou wert cold instead of being lukewarm. Now that's an interesting point to me. For Jesus to say to his children, I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. To be lukewarm is to describe a condition that I often find myself in. And Jesus will describe the culture that often produces this condition in God's children. To be lukewarm means to be completely comfortable and at ease. Everything's good. Whether we admit it or not, we have the mindset, I really don't need the Lord. And the reason we say that is described in verse 16 or verse 17. Thou sayest, I am rich 
and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Now before Satan plants the seed in your mind that you're not rich, consider this. What, are you, what is Jesus saying that we're saying that we are rich with? He says, we're increased with goods and have need of nothing. Did anyone arise this morning wondering if you were going to have food for the day? That didn't cross my mind. I'm 59 years old and there's never been a day in my life where I was concerned about having food. Think about water. There's never been a day that I didn't have an inexhaustible supply of cold water. And even in my lifetime, though there's probably some of you here that can't relate to it uh, or, or don't have this experience, I've always had instant hot water. That wasn't the case with my parents. I have a thermostat, a digital thermostat on my wall that I can make the house whatever temperature I want. Now just go back 75 years. That wasn't the case. If you're married and one of you is cold-natured and the other is hot-natured, have you ever noticed, I know it's this way with us, that uh, it may be two degrees too hot for me, and so I go and adjust the digital thermostat two degrees. And we could go on and on. Think of your automobile. You can, you can go anywhere you want. You can go drive in the deserts of Nevada and set the temperature of your little environment to whatever makes you comfortable. There are endless illustrations, aren't there, that show that we are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Now, there's a lot I may want. And there's no end to that in a materialistic culture that we're always wanting more. And the whole purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes is to teach us that it doesn't matter how much you have in terms of material things. If that's what you're looking to for happiness, you're never going to find it. Solomon said, I, more than anyone else, have had the best of everything this world has to offer. And interestingly, he, more than anyone else, said, it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Jesus doesn't like it when we're lukewarm. When we understand salvation by grace, but we're just indifferent about it. Notice what he says. Because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. I want to get verse 16. So then because thou art lukewarm 
and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Jesus says, I know what's going on. And he says, when I consider your mindset, when I consider that you are, I believe it's in Zephaniah 3.12, that you're in the condition of being rich. I mean, you're in the condition described there when he says, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. And he goes on to describe how they're relaxing on all the comfortable furniture they have. Jesus is not pleased when our material circumstances are so comfortable that it's detrimental to our spiritual life. That's what he's saying here. You're lukewarm, and he says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Jesus is more displeased with that than he is when his children are cold. And here's the reason why I believe. If you profess to be something that you're not, is that not more detrimental in the eyes of a watching world in terms of promoting God's glory and promoting the Christian faith than just no interest or no profession at all. Isn't it more detrimental for someone to look at you and say, well, they profess to be a Christian. They talk about how great uh, the Lord is and how much they love Him, but I don't see any real evidence in their life that it's as important as they say it is. One of the prophets said, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And he goes on to say, Their heart is going after their own covetousness. He says, verse 17, You don't realize you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind. And naked. Now, last time we concluded with verse 19. Verse 20 is addressing the same principle as verse 19, but it's doing so in terms of an illustration we can all picture in our mind. But let's first take encouragement from verse 19. Probably so far all I've done is bring you down <laughs> and say, Brother Buddy, you've identified my main problem in life. But notice verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. More than any other people, and I would say this is, for the most part, exclusive among the primitive Baptists. You'll hear this point emphasized. I'm not saying others don't believe it, but you'll hear this point emphasized that one of the evidences that you are a child of God is you feel convicted and condemned over your sins. Amen. 
no matter how bad I mess up, the very fact that you are chastened is an evidence that you're a child of God. You see, many in the religious world would say, well, being chastened, feeling convicted or condemned means that the Lord is dealing with you, the Spirit of God is dealing with you, you're not saved, and the purpose of the Lord dealing with you in that way is to persuade you to do whatever is necessary in order to be saved. If that were the truth, I would be hopeless all the time, wouldn't you? If, if I was to interpret my times of conviction, which are uh, more often than not, if I was to uh, view that as evidence that I wasn't saved, I would never be at rest. <laughs> but you see in the book of Hebrews 12 that we looked at last time, it says, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Now notice this. He says all are partakers, but then he says obviously some are not. <laughs> Sounds like a contradiction. All are partakers of chastisement, but some are not. The all there is the ones Jesus was referring to when he said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All of God's people. There's a, a thread throughout the Bible that God has an elect people. It was illustrated nationally in the Old Testament when God chose to bless Israel. And the full revelation of it is in the New Testament as it teaches that the elect are not those that come from a particular lineage, but the elect are the people that God sovereignly chose to love and save out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue under heaven. All of those are chastened. So even if you're living in open rebellion and you feel condemned about it, that means you're a child of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you live in sin in order to have that evidence, because if you've ever tried that, you'll know you don't want to go that way. Is there anyone here that would say, well, I want to be convinced that my father loves me, so I'm going to disobey him all the time where he'll give me a whipping. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? That, the Bible says that's evidence he loves you, but that's not the route to go. But you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> that's the one evidence that I can always fall back on. Well, the Lord says... That if I'm not chastened, if I don't feel bad about my sins, if I can live any old ungodly way, if I can commit crime and it not bother me one bit, that's when there's no evidence that I'm a child of God. It's just the reverse of what is so often taught today. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What's the appropriate response? 
Is it to continue living in sin where the Lord will continue to chasten you and you can keep on having evidence that you're a child? No. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. The purpose of chastening is to get your attention. That's why that the Lord prescribed throughout the book of Proverbs the application of the rod of correction because especially when a child is very young, that is the one thing that will always get their attention. To let them know, hey, you can't, you can't continue this road of behavior and and the Lord deals with us that way but he's different from a natural father in that we don't always get it right sometimes we let our flesh get in the way of appropriately disciplining our children but in Hebrews 12 it says he always does it for our profit the Lord always gets it right when he chastens us now look at verse 20. And keep in mind, as verse 19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, that verse 20 is, I believe, just an illustration of this same principle. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, let me make an observation here that I think is important. Sometimes we as primitive Baptists, and you know, I feel like they're the one group I'm qualified to criticized because I've been one my whole life. Sometimes we say things that may mislead people. For example, have you ever heard someone say, well, God doesn't try to do anything? Well, technically that's true. And we're usually thinking about eternal salvation, but we often don't clarify that. This doesn't say that Jesus knocks the door down because you won't open it. But it's also not saying that he's trying to open it and he can't. The idea here is God operates differently in dealing with us as his children than he does when it comes to imparting life and making us one of his children. When it comes to God saving us, uh, you could use that expression that God doesn't try to do anything. In other words, whatever he purposes to do, he does it. But I encourage you not to just throw out that phrase because that can cause people to think that you believe that that you have no control that God's going to do whatever he wants in your life irrelevant to how you respond to him. You see that? This verse is not teaching what people mean when they say God doesn't try to do anything. This, This is the Lord saying, I'm knocking on the door. But I am not going to come in unless you open the door. 
I like the illustration Lonnie Mazingo Jr. gave one time. He said when he was a little boy, he began to be influenced by some of his friends that were misapplying this verse and saying that the Lord wants to save you. And unless you open the door and let him in, you'll not be saved. And his father said, okay, son, let's, 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 it, let me illustrate something to you. And he said, I'm going to go outside and you close the door and I'm the Lord and you're the unsaved sinner. And I'm going to knock on the door and I want you to just open the door to see who it is, but don't let me in. So he goes outside, he knocks the door. Brother Lonnie opens the door and he said his daddy just knocked the door open and knocked him on the floor. And said, son, when the Lord wants to save someone, he saves. Amen. I'm not saying that to boost our pride that, well, we have the truth and others don't. I'm just illustrating a principle this does not apply to, eter to eternal salvation. Okay, what does it apply to? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.